Please join me if you have your Bible in your lap. The passage is going to be on the screen as well, but we're going to be beginning Paul's last letter ever written that we have, 2 Timothy. Paul is under arrest. He is in a dungeon in Rome. As the book of Acts closes, Paul is under arrest, but he's under house arrest. He's been taken by Rome. I love this. Uh, God wanted to get, uh, Jesus wanted to get uh, Paul from Palestine, Israel. He wanted to get him to Rome, but he did it at government expense. And so he had Paul arrested. And then Paul said, I appeal to Caesar, which a Roman citizen, and he was a Roman citizen, could do. And the government governor had no choice. He had to send him to Rome at government expense. And so he goes there. He's got a uh, Roman centurion assigned to him. And so he gets there to Rome at government expense. Then he's put under house arrest. And he's chained to a uh, member of the Praetorian Guard, one of the sons of the wealthy and, and uh, influential in Rome. And so he's able to share the gospel with these Praetorian guards, these young Roman soldiers, constantly. And he's able, and while he, one of the letters he wrote uh, was the letter to the Philippians, and he says, the members of Caesar's household send you greeting. So Paul is able to reach in with the gospel into the most inaccessible part of the entire Roman Empire. What did, God, what did Jesus say to Ananias in Acts 9? He is going to speak for me before the Jews, kings, and the Gentiles. We're going to see, Paul is in, at the close of this letter, Paul's going to talk about his interview with Nero. He gets in to see the emperor. Can you just go uh, um, knock on the door of the White House and say, okay, I want to talk to the president? No. <laughs> you can try it, but it's not going to happen. You couldn't do that in Rome either. But if Jesus says you're getting in to talk to the emperor, you're getting in to talk to the emperor. Because Jesus is in charge, not Nero, not the Praetorian guards, not the bodyguards. Jesus is in charge. Paul is writing this. He is in a dungeon, but Jesus is with him in the dungeon. Let me just read. Let me read the first 12 verses of this letter. I don't know that we're going to get through all these 12 verses, but we'll read the verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I recall to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. 
Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me according in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not Ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Lord Jesus Christ, we are asking that the same Holy Spirit who guided Paul's pen would guide us in our understanding of the message that is here because it is beyond the words we must be taught by you. And we ask for that knowing it is your will. It is your promise from Isaiah 45. We will all be taught, taught of God. Amen. Last letter of Paul. He's in a dungeon writing. This is gonna, he doesn't know it's his last letter. But it's going out. I'm not ashamed. Wait a minute. You're an apostle of that guy, Jesus. As far as the Roman legal system is concerned, how did Jesus end up? Roman legal system, Jesus ended up on a cross. We executed him, done. Oh, no. The Roman legal system doesn't have the last word. The Sanhedrin of the Jews didn't have the last word. Pontius Pilate didn't have the last word. What did those Roman guards whom the, isn't this amazing? The high priests of Israel remembered the promise of Jesus better than his disciples did. You know that deceiver, he said, after three days I will rise from the dead. So Pilate, would you please put a guard around that tomb and seal the tomb? What's the point of that sealing? If that stone is rolled away, if that seal is broken, those guards forfeit their lives. They have powerful incentive to make sure that seal isn't broken. What was the testimony of those Roman guards? When they, their testimony was to the high priests of Israel, we saw an angel coming down, flashing lightning. And he rolled the stone away. And he fainted. They 
went to the high priest and told them what had happened and what did they say? Okay, we will secure your lives with Pilate. We will make sure you don't get executed, but in return, you have to peddle this story. While we were asleep, his disciples came and rolled the stone away and stole the body. Wait a minute, if you were asleep, how do you know what happened? Well, it was the best they could do. Ten seconds of dedicated thought tells you this is stupid, this is ridiculous. But that's all they had. What does the world have to say today in answer to Bible truth? Nothing. The same kind of nonsense that those guards were <laughs> forced into peddling. While we were asleep, his disciples came and rolled the stone away. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He is Lord. Jesus came out of that. By the way, that stone was rolled away. Why? To show that he was no longer there. He'd already left. He's already gone. Jesus is Lord in all places at all times. He is God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, I love that statement, Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God dwells in the heavens, which means he's over every other God, and he does all he pleases. Nothing is withheld from him if he purposes. Paul, an apostle, a sent one, of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I didn't appoint myself. In fact, I would dare say the day before Paul's face hit the dirt <laughs> in front of the gates of Damascus, if you'd asked Christians, okay, let's see, who do you think of all the members of the human race is the most likely to the least likely of God to appoint a new apostle? Paul, Saul, the name of Saul of Tarsus would have been at the bottom of the list. Jesus isn't interested in lists. He's going to make a name for himself, and he takes his own enemies and turns them into his friends. Isn't that what he's done with us? What were we? The Bible says we were enemies of God, that he has now made his friends. He has now walked us into a place where we can say, Father. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Nothing restrains his hand. According to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. What does the coming of Jesus, what was the coming of Jesus, God the Son, Becomes flesh. I'm just going to. I'm going to quote the first, the opening line of the Nicene Creed. Jesus is true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in one person. He is fully God, fully man. He's not half man, half God. He's fully God, fully man, joined together in one person. He had to be in order to carry the burden that he did and accomplish what he accomplished on the cross. He had to be. Jesus is undiminished deity. 
he is also full humanity joined together in one person. And the outcome of what he accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection as he can bring what was otherwise an utter, complete impossibility to any member of the human race. He can give us life. He can remove, as we <coughs> quoted earlier, John 3.16, he can remove that threat of perishing from our future completely. When we entrust ourselves to the work of Jesus on the cross, the lake of fire, which awaits the entire human race, is removed from our future. And we can fully, confidently expect a complete, friendly welcome with the Holy God. It won't be reluctant. He does it with pleasure. I don't know about you folks, but my favorite, my favorite word of all the words in the English language, my favorite word is this one. Mercy. I'll take mercy. This is biblically accurate. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What I deserved is what Jesus received on the cross. I deserved that punishment, but he is my substitute. He took what I deserved. That enabled his father to give me mercy. He gave Jesus what I deserve so that I don't have to get what I deserve. And the word grace is the flip side of that. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. The word we translate grace, that's just simply the standard Greek word for a gift. A gift. A gift isn't something you've earned. When you've worked, you know, you've, you, you filled in the time, you did the work that the, the contractor hired you to do, and he, at the end of the week, he gives you a paycheck. You didn't say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for this wonderful. No, you earned it. A gift is something you didn't earn. Mercy is not getting what I deserve, and grace is getting what I don't deserve. Jesus doesn't bring us just to that place where we're just cleansed of our sin. The Bible actually says that his own righteousness, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that pleasure of God that was upon him that he earned by his behavior, that comes to me. Jesus took what I deserve so I could get what he deserves. I get mercy and I get grace. And that's why we can walk into the presence of God with outrageous, can we even say authority? An expectation of welcome that we will be, that the ears of God will be very large to hear our prayer and to respond to us. That's the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. We step into what can authentically be called life. <clears throat> Unbelievers are the walking dead. Those who do not know Christ are the walking dead. They have no right to demand blessing from God. He, he does bless them because he's good. And he's trying to, he's winning them to, into the kingdom. He's offering them reasons to trust him, but he doesn't owe it to them. 
We have the promise of life. When we step into the kingdom of God, the array of possibilities for us broadens enormously. And perhaps that most famous passage of the entire Bible, Psalm 23, please meditate on that because it really is your inheritance. It really is. The promise of life which is in Christ Jesus that he made possible to Timothy, a beloved son. You know, what did Paul do? Paul was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, but as an expression of his servanthood to the Lord Jesus, he was devoted to certain people to disciple them. Paul was a servant, too, of Timothy. Now, he exercised authority over Timothy. He is an apostle. But he exercised his apostleship in a way that it served Timothy. And so much so that Paul, and I'm sure that Timothy was not surprised by this, a beloved son. A beloved son. So devoted had Paul been to his disciple, Timothy, that he can call him a beloved son. And here are our words again. Grace, mercy, and peace. You know, we're so used to seeing these words at the front of all of Paul's letters. It is so easy for us to slide by as if it's just religious boilerplate. <laughs> you know, the kind of lingo you expect a lawyer to put at the front of every legal... No! It's there because it, it, and it's, it's at the front of every letter because Paul wants us to... The Holy Spirit wants us to see it. Grace. Receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy. Not receiving what you do deserve. And can we say peace? Lucifer, the fallen angels, those demons, those divine beings who joined him in his rebellion, the human persecutors can't lay a finger on God's people without divine permission. And if he does permit it, it is always to advance the kingdom. Remember those three fellows in the book of Daniel, these three pals, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Jewish names. Here's this giant statue. I would dare say it probably resembled Nebuchadnezzar himself. Okay, when the band strikes up, everybody is supposed to bow down and worship this statue. And everybody, and I mean, there were people there that had been brought in from every <coughs> province in the Babylonian Empire. This is a big deal out on the plain of Jura. <coughs> and when the band struck up and started its noise, everybody hit their faces except these three guys. Standing straight and tall. Now these are three, the three friends of Daniel. Remember the previous chapter, chapter two when, when Daniel had interpreted the dream and so Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed that he made Daniel the chief governor, governor 
of the capital province of Babylon itself, where the capital city is. And what did Daniel do? He appointed his three companions as his three chief aides. Nebuchadnezzar knows these guys. And they're the best friends of his best friend, Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar did something totally uncharacteristic. Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a problem taking people's heads off. He didn't have a problem killing people that got in his way, that displeased him in any way, shape, or form. He actually is bending over, for Nebuchadnezzar, he's bending over backwards when he says, okay, guys, I'm going to give you a second chance. I don't think you could have given anybody else a second chance. When the band strikes up, here's your second chance. You're to fall down and worship. We don't know which of the three guys was the spokesman. He's not named. But he just says, you know what? Nebuchadnezzar, when the band strikes up, we're still not going to worship your stupid idol. And you can do whatever you want. And here they already had the fiery furnace all stoked up. And that set Nebuchadnezzar off. They stoked up that furnace so hot that the men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace died. And then a few minutes later, what does Nebuchadnezzar see? He's looking back into that doorway into the furnace, and he sees those three men standing there. The only harm that had been done was to the ropes that bound them. The ropes had burned off. And there's a fourth man in that furnace with them. That looks like the Son of God, said Nebuchadnezzar. And he called those men out. By the way, that chapter is a proclamation to the entire empire. It's not a narrative written down later by Daniel. It is a proclamation that was sent out to the entire empire. And what's the conclusion of the proclamation? Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't want to hear anybody inside the borders of the Babylonian Empire say anything bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If I hear about it, they're in trouble with me. Because this is the God who cannot be defied. He is an absolute control. Is God able to make a testimony for himself? Of course, he would do so again when he yanks his own son out of a tomb. But he does it over and over and over again. Grace, mercy, and do we as Christians have a right to peace? Nothing can touch me without the permission of my good, all-powerful, wise God. Is he a good shepherd? He's not just good in his nature. He is good at it. He's got skill. Grace, mercy, and peace. That's not just religious boilerplate. That should be the very core of our understanding of what relationship with God means. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. My Father. My Father. Shared this with you before. The earliest place in the entire Bible where God, and God calls himself the Father of Israel in Deuteronomy 32. 
It's extremely rare in the Old Testament that God is called Father. You know, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, what did he teach them to say first? Our Father. And I would dare say that surprised them because that's an extremely familiar relationship. The creator of all things is my Father. That is a devotion to me that is unending. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. What does Jesus say recorded in Matthew 28? All authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's no end of it. There's no end of it. I shared yesterday, uh, and I think I've shared it with you, I've read a book decades ago about an event that happened almost 100 years ago in China. A fellow by the name of J.O. Fraser, a British guy, he goes to China. He's a missionary with the China Inland Mission. And he gets into South China, and he hears about these people on the other side of the mountain range. And the name of the book is Behi Behind the Ranges. And they're the Lisu people. They're not Chinese. Ethnically, they're not Chinese. But he hears about them. They're animists. They worship the sprites and fairies, the local gods and goddesses in their area. <coughs> and so he goes behind the mountain range to the Lisu people. And he starts telling them about the true and living God, who's good and has all power, and who's really good at his job. And they're okay, but J.O., you need to understand our gods are really bad. They're wicked. And if we abandon them, they're going to beat the snot out of us. And so he, hmm, no, they won't. Not because they don't want to, but because Jesus won't let them. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And they heard that, and they Okay, we hear what you're saying. Finally, there was one clan in the tribe that decided, they got together and they met with J.O. Fraser, and they, okay. And that clan decided to all at once, together, step across the line. And so this one clan stepped across the line. And all the rest of the Lisu people are watching them for what? Number one, can Jesus protect them? Number two, this would be a bonus. This would be frosting on the cake. Can he bless them? In this clan, every single mama got pregnant. Every nanny goat got pregnant. Their crops, their fields, and the crops that they had sown just became bounteous. Not only can Jesus protect them, look at the blessing, look at the bounty he's brought to them, and the whole rest of the Lisu people, that whole extended tribe, stepped across the line. That's called a people movement. That's called a people movement. That's what we're seeing taking place right now in both the Hindu and the Muslim world. Because the Muslims know that their Allah isn't good. The Hindus, in particular, know that their 300 million gods and goddesses aren't good. But when they see 
other Hindus trust in Jesus and Jesus is both protecting them and blessing them. They're fleeing their bad, limited gods for Jesus and he is protecting them and blessing them. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, that's not just a title, it's what he is and does. He is Lord. And no fallen angel, no human politico can defy him successfully. And ultimately, even if someone is martyred because of their loyalty to Jesus, what's going to happen? They're going to be yanked out of their grave and they're going to stand before our Lord Jesus Christ and receive that crown of life. And all the unbelievers will see it. Jesus is Lord and the day is coming when every knee will bow men and angels, even if they have an angel's hand on the nape of their <coughs> neck, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's your Lord. That's your Savior. Walk in it! I'm preaching it myself here too, folks. Don't walk in the fear of the wrong things. Walk in the fear of God and you walk at liberty. You walk at liberty. You walk in freedom. You walk in blessing. You walk with a divine expectation, positive expectation. That's the kind of God we have. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we just looked at the first two verses of this letter. But what an incredible treasure trove that Paul has set before Timothy and us. This is our Lord, grace, mercy, and peace from the God who says, I'm your father. And the Savior, his son, Christ Jesus, who says, and I am Lord. I am shepherd. Lord, I'm asking for myself as well as anybody else in this room. Please remind us in the days to come of what the Holy Spirit just showed us from his word that we might walk in it and not fear the wrong thing, not listen to the voice of the intimidators, whether they are human, human beings or fallen angels. We ask this of you, mighty Lord Jesus and our Father, And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's.